There'll be a love offering right at the end of the service too, and and uh, let, let me just echo something that Brother Bill said that it is the Spirit of God and the Word of God that brings a man to salvation. End of story. Uh, the Word of God made illuminated by the Spirit of God is what brings that man to that place. And I thank you, brother, for your service and continuing to put those Bibles out. Also, don't think I've ever heard anybody else, maybe, you know, that a few people quote uh, A.W. Pink. Uh, so that, that was good as well. All right, let's pray. And uh, I have a compressed timeline. I've got a lot to say. Uh, so bear with me as, as we go through here. You're going to be having to take notes at a uh, very quick pace. Father, we thank you again for this day that you have given us. Uh, thank you for our brother and his faithful service to share the word of God. Father, we pray that you would multiply that, multiply the uh, ministry of the Gideons. Uh, Lord, that uh, while we still have that freedom to uh, put the word out in jails and hotels and schools, God, use your people for that purpose. And while we may have people here who will not walk out and hand the Bible, God, I pray that they would be uh, faithful, they would be generous in their giving this morning so that we can uh, get Bibles into this society. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Along those lines, I was thinking of Michael. He preached not too long ago on a Wednesday night, and, and really the theme of the message was kind of along the idea that uh, the, we, we have a, a problem of loneliness uh, in our society. And the answer to that loneliness is the church. Uh, so really uh, uh, the church carrying the gospel news out there. Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17 is where we'll take our text from this morning. Let me read that to you. Uh, the sermon title is called An Inappropriate Marriage. And you may be wondering what in the world an inappropriate marriage has to do with the book of Revelation. And I'll explain that as we go along. Chapter 2, verse 12. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. And in even those days were in Antipas my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. For I have a few things against you, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak, to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou them there that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh I will give to the eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and in that stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saying, He that receiveth it. And may God add his blessing to his holy word. Well, this morning we're going to continue our study of the seven churches that Christ instructed John to write to. Pergamos is that third church in the address. And it's appropriate this time to remind us that the letters that were circulating among all of the churches... And while there are seven churches that are mentioned here, we need to understand that during this time frame, there were hundreds of churches, at least a hundred churches that were out there. But Christ chose these seven churches to write to, but I don't want you to miss the point that it was written to all the churches. 
There were specific problems with some of the churches, but he wanted these letters written and passed around so that all the churches would read them. It's important to mention this morning that each of the messages to the church have an application to any church both then and now. In other words, it's not when we study these churches, it's not just a historical setting that we look back and say, oh, it was just about this church. Listen, we need to pay attention to what the Word of God is saying concerning Westside Baptist Church. And I would go on to say that not just about whether we're talking uh, corporately together, collectively together, we need to take a look at ourselves and saying, what does the Word of God specifically written to this church have to deal with me? What would the Spirit of God say to me about this issue? We can break this morning's message down into who wrote the message and who it was written to, what was written in the letter, and what should be the response to what is written. And again, a compressed timeline, so bear with me. Who is the message from and whom it is written? Well, we find in verse 12 that it is written to the church of Pergamos. But who writes this letter? We know John writes it upon the instruction from the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is coming from the risen Christ who says that he holds a sharp sword with two edges. The sword that he holds in his hand is the word of God. Now, it's important for us to understand that Jesus, he, when he addresses each of the churches, he addresses that church identifying himself in a particular manner for that church. And so when he is speaking to this church, he says, I am the one. I am the one that holds the sword in my hand that is sharp, and it has two edges to it. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 states this, For the word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God that is, is this Jesus saying he is holy, he says it is double-edged. It is able to judge down to the thoughts and the intents of a man's heart. Now, I want you to think about that. Because Christ wanted that church to know, I know exactly where your heart is at. I know exactly what you are thinking. And, and as I said, that would be something that we would ask ourselves as a church this morning, understanding who Jesus Christ is as he stands in the midst of the church, and he would really be saying to us as a church as well that I have a double-edged sword, and that sword is able to get down to the very thoughts that you have and the intentions that you have. You see, there is absolutely nothing hidden from Jesus Christ. He is declaring himself for who he is, the God of heaven. And he, because he is God, he knows exactly what is on our hearts this morning. He knows what our motives are. He knows what our intentions are. There is nothing that escapes Jesus Christ. But more importantly, he wants them to understand that as he holds this double-edged sword, it is a picture of imminent judgment that the church was facing. 
He was threatening to come and war against the church. I want you to think about that for a minute. How, how would we like it this morning if the Lord Jesus Christ identifies himself as saying, I'm the one that knows the thoughts and the intents of your heart, and I'm letting you know right now, I have a sword in my hand, and I am ready to come and fight, and I'm coming to fight because of some problems that are in your church. Well, I don't know about you, but that would shake me up a little bit. And, and it should be shape, shaking up the church of Pergamos in the way that he is coming and portraying himself. Now, you remember from last week that he talked to the church, and he says, listen, the church of Smyrna, that persecuted church, that church that was crushed for the cause of Christ, they were giving their lives and their, everything they had for him, and he had no problems with them. He did nothing but encourage them. But this morning, he speaks to the church of Pergamos. That is who it is written to. There are a couple of different meanings that I found for Pergamos. One is that of a fortress, and the other is this, of a tainted marriage. It comes from two different words, per, which means inappropriate, mixed, impure. And the rest of it, gome, where we get our words, monogamy, polygamy, right? Bigamy, so it has to do with marriage. And he says this is an inappropriate marriage. It's a perverted marriage. You can say, well, what in the world does that have to do with this? Well, we'll get down to it in a minute, but you see the problem with this church was is that they had married the world. They had entered into a relationship with the world and married in with the world and the world's philosophy and the world's morality. That's, that's the idea behind this church. Just like the word Smyrna was where we get the word myrrh from, which was used for those who were crushed, being crushed under the weight of Rome, crushed under the weight of those who said they were Jews and were not, but were of the synagogue of Satan, crushed for nothing more than their faith in Christ. Now you have the church who has entered into a relationship that God says, I don't want you to have any part of that. It was a city that they were in. This city was very unique in that it had over 200,000 parchments, books. When? Nancy, you'd appreciate this, being librarians. They had 200,000 books there. It was a great place. It was a place of intellect. It's a place, not only of that, but it was a place that was known for idol worship. It became the leading center for emperor worship. And all of this placed the church in a very, very tough position because of the refusal to worship anyone other than Christ. Let me tell you what was written in this letter. Jesus said this. He says, I know where you live. It's a very comforting and yet a very convicting thought to know that Christ knows exactly where you and I live. Not only knowing where I live, he has sovereignly placed me in that place for his eternal purposes. When was the last time you thought about that? 
that God has put you right here, right now, in this location for his sovereign will and purpose. He says to the church, I know where you live. I know exactly where you're at. It's no big surprise to me. In fact, it's part of my design for where you're at. He further says, I know the place that you're living. It is where Satan has his throne. It's where Satan has his seat. There was a very unique place that was there. It was an altar, a very unique altar. This altar uh, was often called the altar of Zeus. It was 120 feet by 112 feet by 18 feet high in the shape of a horseshoe. And, And there were sacrifices that were offered there. It was also known as where Satan's seat was. Now, there's something interesting here. Some people say, well, that's just, you know, kind of um, a figure of speech. I don't necessarily think it was a figure of speech. Now, there's good news in that, because even if it says that's where Satan's throne was at, that's where his seat was at. Can I tell you this morning, folks, I want you to understand something. Satan is a created being. He is not an omnipresent being. He cannot be everywhere at the same time. He has to have a place that he is at. Now we do know this, that the Bible says that there are principles and powers and dominions, and that's talking about spiritual realms, and we know that there are demons, and we know that there are uh, those principalities that are assigned right here to Jacksonville, Alabama. And they have, they're getting their marching orders from that great deceiver, and that is to destroy the work, hinder the work of God. They're active here, I guarantee you. But this place is where they were serving, known as where Satan's throne was at. Now, can you imagine that? A church, listen, I will say this, you know, Jacksonville may have a few problems, but it's not where Satan's throne's at. This church was there. That's what it was known for. That's an amazing thing when you think about how great God is because he he will take a church and he will put them right in the middle of Satan's domain and says, you can thrive right there. That ought to say something to us as a people. That God says, I can put you, Westside, right where I want you and you can be faithful to me right where I have you at. He says, I know where you live. It was a place where the God of healing was at. You see, the, we got Dr. Jim Yates here, and you got the, the old pole with the serpent that wraps around it, right? That was one of the symbols that came from this place. As a matter of fact, what they would do sometimes is, is they would go and they would, they would offer these pagan sacrifices along with, you know, some other medicinal-type things, and then they would lay on the floor of this altar and let snakes crawl over them, hoping that that sacrifice would bring healing to them. I see several of you shaking your heads, no, uh uh-uh, no, sir. Well, don't worry about it. We're not going to break the snakes out here and start handling them. We're not that type of a church. But it it was a place like that. It was, as I've stated earlier, it was a place where emperor worship was central. In fact, it is noted by Christ that his faithful servant Antipas was martyred there. It is said that he was put in a bronze pot and roasted alive for his refusal to worship the emperor. And the Lord says, I've taken note of that. Even my faithful servant Antipas gave his life. He says, I know where you live. 
And he says, and I know that you have remained faithful to my name. In the midst of all of that, you have remained faithful to me. And he commends them that they had not denied that Jesus was the Lord of all. Many had given their lives and their property for the cause of Christ. Just because they had the testimony of Jesus Christ. You know, God help us as Christians not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We were talking about this in Sunday school a little bit this morning, just talking, and, and yesterday it, we went to the men's breakfast. Can I just, one of the things that stuck out to me, and, and, and you'll see where I'm going with this in just a moment, but one of the things that film, again, Louis Giglio talking about and talking about that we live, the earth is in the middle of what is called the Milky Way galaxy, right? And if you were to take the size of the earth in the Milky Way galaxy, it would be the size of a quarter placed in the continent of, the United, of North America. That's how big the earth is in comparison to that galaxy. And that's not even the biggest galaxy. As he said yesterday, every time we discover and we build a bigger telescope to see further into the universe, we find out that we, where we thought we were at the end of the universe, it just goes beyond. Now, what I'm telling you is, folks, we serve a powerful God. Amen. And just when we think that we have got him figured out, he appears to be greater and bigger than we ever imagined. And yet... And yet, this God of all creation is mindful of me. And he is mindful of you. And he looks at this tiny little church that's living in a tiny little area of the earth, in a tiny little planet, in the vastness of an unspeakable universe. And he says... I know you. I know where you're at. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? I mean, we ought to all walk out of here going, wow. Can you imagine what a time we're going to have in eternity? Just when we think we've seen it all, we've got more to go. He says, I know you. I know your faithfulness. I know that you have not forsaken my name he says but <laughs> would have been great if we could have just stopped right there right but i have a few things against you he says you have there them that hold to the doctrine of balaam we get that out of numbers chapter 22 and verses 25 and you know the story about balaam i love this story balaam was that guy who was he was a gentile we won't even call him a prophet he was kind of a soothsayer he was a guy who was for hire right and Balak comes along, who wanted him saying, listen, I want you to go and curse Israel, right? And uh, Balaam is smart enough, no, I don't need to do that. He asks, and he says, well, I can't curse them. Well, Balak says, I want you to come to me. He says, well, I, let me, he says, I, I want to ask the Lord about that. He asked the Lord, and the Lord told him, no, don't go. He asked him again, and the Lord said, no, don't go. He asked him again, and the Lord says, finally, okay, go, help yourself, right? Now, I would not call that really permission, Right? And we know what happens as we go along. Just let me rehearse the story for you. Here is, here is Balaam trotting along on his donkey. He's on a little mountain path. 
And he's, he's going along, and all of a sudden there's an angel that he doesn't see that is standing in the middle of the road with a sword. And the donkey sees him. Now that's something to say, that an ass has a little more sense than a man. Right? He sees him. And, and finally, now the, the, the funny part of this story to me is this, is that Balaam beats the donkey trying to get him to go through, and finally the donkey turns around and says, why are you beating me, you know? <laughs> And God opens his eyes and he's able to see the donkey. Now what surprised me is that Balaam wasn't surprised that the donkey talked to him. But I'm going to tell you, you see, he couldn't curse. And he goes to Balak and he says, I can't curse him. God told me I can't curse him. He says, but here's, what I'll, here's, how, you, here's how you overcome. You lay a trap for him. They said, what's the trap? He said, here's what you do. You get the prettiest women that you have. And you have them kind of just out on the outskirts of the tribe of Israel, the people of Israel. And pretty soon is what will happen is the Israelite men will marry into these women. And when they do that, they will have compromised what I told them to do. And their gods, your gods, will become their gods. You see, the doctrine of Balaam is this, is that when the world and the church marry together and you begin to take on the philosophies of the world and they become part of the church, it adulterates the purity of the marriage of the bride and the lamb. You think about that. As a matter of fact, I don't have the time to go into it this morning, but it would be where we actually have where the state government married into the church, and you have the state running the church, and that is why our founders said that there is a separation between church and state. It's not that religion is to be separate from the government. The government needs to keep its business out of religion. Amen? So what happened in this is what we really get a lot of, and, and for our Roman Catholic friends, this is really where the church sprung up. Is because you had a changeover, and I don't have time to go into it historically, to where Satan realized that persecuting the church wasn't working, so if I can just get the world into the church and not persecute them, but have them compromise what they believe. Did you know that if you walk into a, just a Roman Catholic church, you have several different saints around? Do you know where a lot of that came from? It just simply came from the Greek gods, the Roman gods, and they just gave them new names. Many of the same pagan festivals we're just changed to Christian festivals. As a matter of fact, if you think about this, you, you may not like this. You ever heard about burning the Yule log? Did you know it goes all the way back to this area right here? And they would burn the Yule log, and the next day they'd get up and trim the tree? Well, that sounds vaguely familiar, doesn't it? Now, I'm not telling you not to put up a Christmas tree. I'm just telling you that the world and the church began to mix. And then pretty soon you have this, not only the doctrine of Balaam, to where they says, hey, I'll entice them. He says, then you have the, the deeds or the, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans as well. Now notice that we've gone from Ephesus where 
It was not the doctrine, it was just the deeds. Now we've moved from deeds to doctrine. Because the church didn't completely stop that, it kept going. And now we've moved to the, the deeds of the Nicolaitans has turned into the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So you have a, a compromise, a marrying of the world and the church together. And you start to have the same philosophies and morality of the world infiltrating into the church. And the deeds of the Nicolaitans was this, the Nico, the against the lay person. Now listen, if you look at the church as it, as it began to become uh, just filtered in with the world, what happened is you had a hierarchy within the church. So you had the clergy over the lay person. Now we don't believe that here, right? Everybody give me a north-south. <laughs> we believe that we are all sheep. That I don't have any right as a pastor to say that I am above you in, in rank because I'm a pastor. The whole idea, Truman and I have said, we joke with each other, but we're serious. The idea of clergy, ministers, stuff that, that have been taken so far out of context that God never intended to be. He says, you, Pergamos, have let the doctrine of Balaam and the Nicolaitans reside in my church. And it takes away. The Christians didn't deny that Jesus was Savior, but they did compromise and invite the world into the church. Can I tell you what? That we have a lot of churches of Pergamos in America. That we have compromised with the world. We, we have let the idea of Nicolaitans slip in. We are facing so much compromise now with the, within the evangelical world, it's frightening. Because we want to do what is politically correct. Rather than stand on what the Word of God says. Now listen, hear me, hear me. It is very easy to become pure in doctrine and devoid of devotion to Jesus Christ. That was the problem with the church of Ephesus. Let me just tell you something I read. You know, sometimes I'll read Franklin Graham's, and I'm going to close this up here in just a minute. But I'll read Franklin Graham's, a lot of the, the stuff he has on Facebook. And it was talking, he was talking about being true to the Word of God. And sometimes I'll go and read the comments. And I read a comment from a, from a church that says, We believe the Word of God. We believe the Word of God is absolute. We preach the Word of God in our church. We're a very small congregation. We're an old congregation. We're a gray-haired congregation. And that's just the way we want it. Can I tell you what? That's the church of Ephesus. They were trying to stay true to doctrine, but devoid of love. You see, because if we don't want others in this church and we're saying we're happy the way we are, then God gives a very clear picture. He says, I'll be gone. I'll remove my candlestick. But in this church, he says, if the church continues to compromise, if the church continues to allow the world system and philosophy within the body of Christ, if the church is unwilling to confront sinful behavior, and part of the, the Nicolaitans was this, is that they, they really were a sexually immoral people. He says, if you allow that continue on, he says that I stand here, I'm coming with a sword. 
Look down at, at uh, verse 16. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. What must be done? Repentance is the answer. A change. It's not enough to proclaim Christ. We must do what he says. This often involves confronting those inside the church who are practicing the philosophy and the world thinking, thinking that it is fine to remain in sin. I was uh, this week having coffee with another brother, and he told me that their church had just um, done church discipline on a member. And that was, uh, is, to quote him, it was heavy. And I said, yeah, it always is. But praise God for a church that's willing to discipline those in the church. You see, because there's so much philosophy out there today. And I've told you about some of it, like this Jen Hatmaker. Listen, she is a heretic. Heretic. And you say, well, that's not very nice to call her out in public. Well, the Bible says we should. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what we're talking about here. Jesus was speaking to the church and saying, listen, church, you have been faithful to my name, but you're not calling out wrong among those who are amongst you. See, purity in the church is, is about Jesus Christ. And we're living in a society today that says, hey, listen, we don't, look, I, I, hear me, please. I want any, anybody and everybody to come into this church and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. But hear me on this as well. I don't want everybody to come in and feel comfortable. I don't want you to come. If you're in sin, and and if you know you're in sin, I don't want you to be comfortable. I want you to be uncomfortable. My prayer before you ever get here is that the Holy Spirit would convict you of His holiness and His righteousness and your unrighteousness. My unrighteousness. There will be consequences for an entire church if he comes to fight. For those that overcome, he says he will give the hidden manna. Let me, let me back up just one moment. And I'm going to, William, I'm just going to close this in prayer today. We won't even have a closing song. I had a pastor friend of mine who asked the question this week. He says, does anybody know how many Baptist churches there are? I believe even Southern Baptist churches there are within a 15-mile radius of Jacksonville. Want to take a guess? 95. 95 within a 15-mile radius. I joked and I said, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting the Baptist church. My comment, Adonis, my comment under there is, I would like to say something, but dot, dot, dot. Do you know why there are so many churches sometimes that I say? It's because God's people have not done it God's way. And churches have split. And there are a lot of illegitimate churches that are out there. Now, there are some guys that won't say that, but that is the truth. And they wonder why in the world that they're running 15 or 20 people. The answer, my friends, is repentance. And doing what the Bible says. 
He says, for the one that overcome, we know the overcomer is the one who stays faithful to Jesus Christ. He says, I will give him the hidden manna. <laughs> Jesus is the bread of life. He says, I will give him a white stone. Just a little history on that white stone. That's the way a white stone was given to those who would enter into the Olympic Games. It was kind of like getting your ticket to go to the Super Bowl. Jesus said, here's your ticket. I'll give you that white stone. It's, it's your ticket to heaven. I'm the one who gives it to you. You see, there is no other way into heaven except through Jesus Christ. Amen. And he says he's going to put a special name on it for you. Isn't that great? You're going to have a special name that only you'll know and only him. That's a great thought. Now, again, think about this. This God who, who made the earth the size of a quarter in the middle of a galaxy the size, you know, of that would be comparable to, to North America. I mean, there we are, a little quarter, boom. Try to, try to find, I, I challenge any one of you to throw a quarter out as you fly over, uh, over North America or the, the entire North American continent and try and find that quarter a little bit later. Good luck. And yet that God says, I'm going to give you a special name. That I know where you're at. He knows where you're at this morning. He knows where this church is at this morning. And folks, I'm going to tell you what, we're living in a day and an age that we don't need to be playing games. Our Lord's coming back. And you say, well, I don't know about that. I've heard about that forever. Well, I can take you to some scripture that talks about you if you say that. That's amazing. The Lord says, I know about you too. <laughs> Saying I'm slow in coming. No, I'm not slow in coming. I'm patient. I'm patient waiting for the day that I'll have the last one that I have determined that I will save. And then I'm calling this church home. I'm talking about the body. Father, we thank you this morning for your greatness and your goodness. We pray this morning, almighty God, that um, you would be glorified. We pray that you would take your word by your spirit. And Father, that you would make it clear in our lives where we're at. Help us to be a church that does not compromise your word, but that at the same time, God, oh, Father, please help us to be a people who would be a loving people, who would not be an angry people, but to be a loving people. We thank you for your word. I pray that even as you declare, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. And we pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Hey, if y'all would hold your seat just for a second, Brother Bill, if you could make your way to the back. I think there are going to be, be some folks back there. If we've got an offering plate back there, Donnie's already got that. Uh, y'all give uh, Brother Bill a, a, a handshake as he goes out. Thank him for the ministry that he's in. Thank you so much for being here, and we will see y'all next week.